The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. With divided government, what are the political realities? The president is increasingly frustrated. I want to try to cut through the noise. Politically, this is devastating. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. It is no secret that I care a lot about the consumers. There are real questions about big tech. We still have more leverage to use with the tariffs. I think we could do with a little less drama from the White House. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. Greetings from Vietnam, where I'm located at the O'Gallery Classy Hotel in Hanoi, just across the way from Hoan Kim Lake in central Hanoi. To the west, North Korea leader Kim Jong-un is staying at the Melia Hotel. And even further west to him, President Trump is staying tonight at the JW Marriott. Of course, this is the second summit we are awaiting between President Trump and North Korea leader Kim Jong-un, a denuclearization summit, but the White House is downplaying the odds of any major breakthroughs. Now, just under 24 hours from now, they are going to head east across town to the Maripool Hotel, where they're going to have dinner. And then following that, they come face to face with their respective staffs to continue these denuclearization talks less than one year, one year, less than a year from when they first gathered in Singapore for that first historic summit. Joining me for the hour, Shannon Pettypiece, Bloomberg News White House reporter, who's at our Washington studio, and Brett Bruin, president of the Global Situation Room. He joins us on the telephone. He's also a former White House director of global engagement. Shannon, I want to start with you because lots of news today, but it truly was remarkable to see the back and forth between President Trump and Kim Jong-un and the White House press pool, no? Yes, so uh, the backstory on that, and Kevin, maybe you had some firsthand encounters with this, <laughs> but what I could pick up from all my colleagues over there, uh, the White House Press Filing Center, so the place all the reporters work out of, was in the same hotel, uh, we believe, uh, as Kim Jong-un was staying, and there was North Korean security officials all over, blocking off stairwells, rolling out a red carpet in the lobby, and uh, they didn't seem to be thrilled with the idea that a bunch of American journalists were there. This uh, is wild. I mean, right. So, I, so. <laughs> uh, so I haven't I haven't been able to get to what actually happened. But long story short, they told the press, the American press, that they were going to have to move their workspace somewhere else. And this is the type of thing that's planned weeks in advance. Uh, there's Months phone lines. There's Internet connection. Uh, Shannon. Reporters I mean, are staying at this hotel. <laughs> I hate to interrupt you. OK, so we get here. It's like it takes a day and a half to get here. And mind you, any reporter who's complaining about just how long it took to get to Hanoi, Kim Jong-un took a 60-hour train through China. <laughs> the Chinese helped arrange this. 60 hours on a train? What do you do? What Netflix do you watch well, for 60 hours on a train? Well, the only worst thing is the people on that train that got stuck in Oregon. But yes, carry well, on. <laughs> <laughs> well, touche. Uh, so he's on this train, 60 hours worth. He arrives in northern Vietnam and then takes uh, like, a, like a motorcade of sorts to get down here. He shows up 
at the Melia Hotel, Melia Hotel, the Melia Hotel, where our, our colleagues, Margaret Taleb, our, our White House reporter who's over here traveling with the president as well, uh, were staying. And meanwhile, we're all at the International Press Center, and I'm, and I'm looking around at our producer, and I'm saying, like, what is going on? It turns out Kim Jong-un then goes to the Vietnamese embassy to complain, to complain about how there were White House press poolers staying in that hotel. What then proceeded was, well, our colleagues had to change their travel plans. It is remarkable because it sounds like a lot of back and forth, particularly when we're talking about denuclearization. But to your point, Shannon, it really does show just how confused, for lack of a better term, yeah. this particular summit is off to, particularly right. when the last one in Singapore was so well organized. Right. And it speaks to, so, I mean, we as reporters, we cover a lot of these world summits uh, where leaders come together, whether it's the G20 or uh, the presidents and, you know, in Paris for an event. Uh, this is almost a routine thing. The White House has an entire staff, an advanced staff that plans these things weeks, months in advance. Uh, and it's just a reminder that Kim Jong-un and North Korea have not been operating in this world of international summits and reporters and conferences. This is all completely new for them. So, yes, I can understand that possibly they didn't have the staffing to project that, oh, well, where is the U.S. Press Filing Center going to be? Um, but, yeah, it just shows you sort of how um, new they are, sort of infants to this world of diplomacy and big major international summits. Shannon Pettypiece, Bloomberg News White House reporter, our guest back in Washington, D.C. I'm broadcasting from the rooftop of the O'Gallery Classy Hotel in central Hanoi, overlooking the Huan Kim Lake in central Hanoi. Beautiful, beautiful lake. Uh, it's a misty morning here, 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, as we reported, President Trump, as well as North Korea leader Kim Jong-un, are going to be having dinner. Uh, Brett Bruin also joins us. He's uh, on the telephone. He's president of the Global Situation Room and a former White House Director of Global Engagement, as well as an ex-diplomat. Brett, thank you for coming on. What message does it send uh, that the White House press pool was shifted uh, over to different hotels and, and Kim Jong-un got to stay where he wanted? I think it's illustrative of a lack of attention to details and not just in the advance work. And this, let's be clear, this is a major fail for White House advance. These are the kinds of things that you have a checklist for. I've sat through these meetings. You go over every day, multiple times. What are uh, the plans for our delegation? What are the plans for the other side? I don't see how they miss this. And this is just one of those things that gets a conference off to a bad start. It's particularly problematic because it's the press corps, the press corps that you want to project a positive message to the world, and you've just upended their coverage. You've upended their live shots and their, their filing center. So all of this um, is does not bode well for how the summit's going to go. But I, if I can uh, pull that thread a little bit more, I would say it also doesn't bode well to the level of attention to detail that this administration is paying to what's going to come out of this summit. And it's been a criticism of the last summit. It's certainly, in the lead-up to this one, a major concern for foreign policy wonks who, who fear that we're going to have a feel-good agreement, but the devil is really going to be in the details, and that's not this administration's specialty. I want to talk about those details with Brett Bruin, president of the Global Situation Room. But first, I want to uh, play a bit from, a bite rather, from President Trump, where 
when he was traveling over here about what he expects to happen at this summit, now just over a day away. Take a listen. And we talk about something that, frankly, uh, he never spoke to anybody about, but we're speaking and we're speaking loud, and I think we can have a very good, a very good summit. Brett, I haven't spoken to one source, either a nuke expert or a diplomatic expert uh, here in Vietnam or back in the U.S. in preparing for this trip, who says that Kim Jong-un is just going to say, all right, no more nukes. So what, what are some realistic outcomes that we can anticipate here uh, in Hanoi? I think the ideal outcome for the Trump administration is a timeline. One where uh, Kim Jong-un is saying, okay, I agree in principle to denuclearization. It's um, a couple years off. In the interim, I'll provide you with an inventory of my nuclear weapons, of the, the sites where we've been doing this research. I'll open up to inspections. And in exchange, it, at every step along that way, I get more. I get a reduction in, in sanctions. Perhaps I, I get investment or some of the other uh, economic opportunities that Trump's been dangling in front of him. But that's, uh, in an ideal world, what will come out of here. What I fear is we're going to see something that is probably similar to the love letters that Kim Jong-un has been sending to Donald Trump, very flowery, very... Um, uh, grandiose in, in some of the ambition, but very um, scant in terms of the details and, and in terms of how we actually get to uh, advance towards anything close to denuclearization. You know, it's been fascinating to watch all throughout the past 24 hours. I'll be honest, I don't even know what time zone I'm in at this point, <laughs> following all of the, the travel and the flight over to get here. But it, it's been fascinating to watch the local press here in Hanoi uh, really uh, just latch on to the business community here and to really showcase Vietnam as almost an illustration of what could be for North Korea. And I think that's a lot of the imagery here that is being projected, not just back to the United States, but also to Pyongyang. And when you think, for example, of the rumors that Bloomberg has reported about maybe the possibility of some representatives from the North Korea delegation visiting a Samsung uh, factory here, it almost would appear that, that the U.S. Is, and the Chinese, to some extent, are dangling uh, this illustration of, hey, North Korea, this could be you. No, Shannon? It certainly is. Um, and the president made some remarks. Uh, he was speaking to governors yesterday, and he said that North Korea has the potential to have record economic growth, economic growth unlike anybody has seen. Um, he's mentioned their beaches, sort of what as a sense of what a beautiful place this is. You could have tourism here. Um, but, I mean, of course, realistically, I mean, that's such a long road. And um, uh, you know, if you're trying to make that sales pitch, there's a lot of ways things could go uh, one way or another. And yes, Vietnam, uh, you know, is a relatively prosperous country for that region at this point um, and a beautiful country with tourism and manufacturing there. But it's a long road there and um, there's no guarantees, really. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that is certainly the attempt they're trying to make to this younger European educated leader. Let me tell you something. I, I haven't even been here 24 hours, or I think we're coming up on the 24-hour mark, and I can tell you Hanoi uh, is beautiful city. Great food. I've had pho. I've had like five cups of pho since I've been <laughs> here and, uh, and whatnot. Coming up, we're not just talking about the economy 
in uh, in North Korea, but also the U.S. economy. Fed Chair Jay Powell testified in the Senate, and Congressman John Garamundi, a Democrat from California, weighs in on that. Plus, the president's decision to declare a national emergency. And oh yeah, all of the latest from here on the ground in Hanoi, Vietnam. You can download the Sound On podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com and iHeartRadio. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Global news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at TikTok on Twitter. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. It is indeed. It's 17 past the hour. I'm Doug Krisner, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. We had weakness in the equity market today after a fluctuation between gains and losses through the session. Intraday, the S&P 500 traded above 2,800, but we failed to hold that level. So we had the Dow losing about one-tenth of one percent. Similar declines for both the S&P and the NASDAQ composite. Fed Chair Jay Powell forecasting solid growth for the American economy, however, at a slower rate, largely because of weaker global growth. The pound rallied 1.2% against the dollar after British Prime Minister Theresa May promised a vote to delay Brexit if her revised plan on Brexit fails in Parliament. In late New York trading, Weight Watchers down as much as 26% after the company posted a full-year forecast well below estimates. Japanese yen much stronger against the dollar here at 110.55. That's going to set us up for a weak equity market in Japan at the top of the hour. U.S. 10-year Treasury last quoted at a yield of 2.63%. Let's get back to a special edition of Sound On with Kevin Cirilli live from Hanoi for the Trump-Kim Summit. Thank you. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg News Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm seated atop the roof of the O'Gallery Classy Hotel in Hanoi, Vietnam, where President Trump, as well as North Korea leader Kim Jong-un, are, well, likely sleeping right now across town in separate hotels. The summit, the second summit in under a year, the first being in Singapore, got off to a confusing start when Kim Jong-un in the Malia Hotel decided that, well, he didn't like the fact that there were White House press poolers staying in that hotel. He went to the Vietnamese embassy and those White House press uh, colleagues of mine uh, had to had to change their plans. It's a much different feel this time here in Hanoi than it was when I was in Singapore covering that summit where everything felt a bit more scripted, a bit more um, scheduled, for lack of a better term. It's 5.20 a.m. here in Hanoi local time, 12 hours ahead of Eastern time. And tonight in local time of Hanoi, President Trump and Kim Jong-un are going to have dinner together. And then the following day after that, they're going to have that summit with their respective staffs. We're talking about all that. We're also carefully monitoring Fed Chair Jay Powell's testimony in the Senate earlier, uh, as well as what's going on with President Trump's and Congress's reaction, rather, to President Trump's decision to declare a national emergency along the U.S.-Mexico border. It's why I'm so glad that Shannon Pettypiece, my colleague, 
back in the Washington Bureau. And Bloomberg News White House reporter is with me for the hour, as is Brett Bruin, president of the Global Situation Room. But right now, I want to get to Congressman John Garamendi. He is a Democrat from California who has been so generous with his time. He's also a member of the House Armed Services uh, Committee. Congressman, thank you uh, for joining us. What do you make of the upcoming summit and the start to which it got off? Well, let's just put it this way. We don't know. Uh, there is an uh, enormous amount of um, uh, questioning, supposition, and uh, curiosity as to what the president uh, and uh, Kim Jong-un are going to even talk about, let alone what they might agree to. Uh, earlier today, we were I was involved in conversations having to do with the uh, readiness of the American military uh, in South Korea, where we have... Uh, extraordinary forces that uh, over the years have been prepared to fight tonight. They're ready to go. And the last time there was a summit, the president decided that uh, that readiness would uh, be diminished because certain uh, programs and uh, exercises with the Korean uh, military would not take place. And so a whole lot of us on the Armed Services Committee are going, well, what's he going to agree to now and what will be the effect of the readiness of those troops? We just don't know. Uh, there is really no way to anticipate what the president might decide to do. Congressman, Congressman John Garamendi, a Democrat from California. I got my committees in the Senate and the House mixed up. He, of course, is a member of the House Committee on Armed Services, and he is the subcommittee chairman on readiness, of course, uh, and, and alluding to that meeting uh, back in Washington earlier today. You mentioned one of the agreements that was reached in Singapore in which uh, the, the U.S. Uh, had backed off some of their military exercises. I got to be frank here, Congressman, uh, and I know you'll, you'll level with us. When you look at what the reports from the intelligence community have come out with, it's not looking like North Korea has backed off of their nuclear ambitions whatsoever. Well, that's certainly the case. Uh, the public uh, information provided by the intelligence community says they're continuing to build rockets. Uh, they're continuing their uh, construction of uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, they're continuing to produce the plutonium and highly enriched uranium, all of which are part of a nuclear uh, weapon. Uh, none of that has really changed. The only thing that's changed is they're not exploding their bombs anymore, probably wanting to hang on to them rather than explode them. Uh, and they're not uh, sending their missiles off into space to land in the uh, Sea of Japan or beyond uh, because they probably want to keep those missiles uh, to be used as a deterrent or to back the United States off or, or whatever, all of which uh, causes me and my colleagues here to say, let's be very, very much aware that uh, a lot of happy talk and a lot of love out of the fest in uh, Singapore turned out to be not so useful in terms of disarmament, in terms of denuclearization, and may very well had de have led to the degradation of the readiness of the American troops on the uh, in South Korea, all of which is of great concern to us. Congressman John Garamendi, a Democrat from California, a member of the Committee on Armed Services. I know you've, uh, uh, you've got to run to another meeting and, and just under uh, a minute that we have left with you, sir. What, what's no, the actually, latest? Kevin, you had not heard. I decided that uh, talking to you since you are <laughs> at 5 a.m. in Hanoi that uh, I should spend some, some more time, so I've delayed my meeting. 
Well, I appreciate that. Well, uh, before no, you we need go to run, that's another matter. No, well, we have a break, but if you can delay the meeting, you can stick around after the break. Uh, we've got less than a minute until break. What's the latest in terms of China's involvement of these uh, denuclearization talks? We have under a minute left before break. Well, as near as I can tell, uh, China is more interested at the moment of uh, its trade trade relations with the United States. Uh, they seem to not be uh, particularly interested in the sanctions or maintaining the sanctions. There seems to be a lot of leakage in that area. Uh, so it's a major concern to us that uh, where's China going? And I don't believe anything's going to come to anything in North Korea until China decides they're going to put heavy pressure and, and force the North yeah. Koreans to do All something. Right. Congressman John Garamendi, Democrat from California. Hopefully we'll talk to you after the break. We've got much more to touch on, including the wall. Check us out on iTunes and iHeart, as well as on the Bloomberg app. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli, live from the Trump-Kim Nuclear Summit in Hanoi on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome back. My name is Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg News Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm in Hanoi, Vietnam, for President Trump's summit with North Korea leader Kim Jong-un. In about 12 or so hours, President Trump is expected to have dinner, break bread, or something like that, with North Korea leader Kim Jong-un. And then about 24 hours from now, they are going to have a summit with their respective teams. I'm actually broadcasting from the rooftop on a misty morning here just before dawn at the O'Gallery Classy Hotel across a couple of blocks away from the Huan Kim Lake in central Hanoi. President Trump has arrived uh, he's staying at the JW Marriott. Kim Jong-un is here. He's staying at the Melia Hotel. And Congressman John Garamendi, Democrat from California, was helping break all of this down. He joins us on the phone. And, and Congressman, I know you've got to run, but I do want to get your take on domestic issues, in particular where things stand with President Trump's declaration of a national emergency along the U.S.-Mexico border. He wants to get $8 billion any way he can to build his wall. There's some legislation. It looks like all eyes are on the Senate. But well, we're going to start tonight uh, here in the House of Representatives and pass legislation that would uh, repeal his emergency declaration. Under the emergency laws, that can be done. Uh, and it will pass the House today. It will be over in the Senate. And then since it's a privileged resolution, it will have to be taken up by the uh, Senate in, I think, within 18 days. And so and we'll see. Uh, I think yeah. the votes are there for the Senate to pass it. Uh, but the bottom line of this is, is not this kind of maneuvering. The bottom line of it is the Constitution, the separation of powers, the three branches, the, co the three co-equal branches. That's what's really at stake here. This is about a president that wants to become an imperial president. I think he wants to be like Kim Jong-un. I think he wants the same kind of power to dictate 
uh, not only what's going to be done, but how it's going to be paved. Uh, keep in mind here, Kevin, that the House of Representatives and the Senate and the President debated the issue of the border wall for a year. And the Congress of the United States, which has Article I, uh, Section 9, that only the Congress can appropriate money, made a decision, made a decision to fund the border security at $1.37 billion. No sooner had the president signed that law than he took it upon himself to say, not enough, I, the president, shall appropriate $8 billion. Congressman, I know you've got to run, but i got to ask you a follow-up because I'm here halfway around or literally on the other side of the world. I'm sipping my Vietnamese coffee and my ears perked up. And if you're driving home from work, I'm sure their ears perked up too. Did, did you just compare President Trump to, to Kim Jong-un? I said the president is trying to acquire the same power that, that, that Kim Jong-un okay. has. That is the power okay. to dictate not only what will be done, but how it's going to get paid for. That is right. so antithesis to the Constitution of the United States that says there are three co-equal branches. And Article 1, Section 9 specifically says no money shall be drawn from the Treasury except by an appropriation law. That's what it says. And here the President, after signing a law in which the Congress debated for a full year, actually 14 months, how much money would be spent on the wall? The Congress said, this is the amount of money. This is what it's going to be used for. That's the law. No sooner was that done than the president says, I don't care. I'm going to declare an emergency, and I'm going to take the power to appropriate the money. In other words, uh, usurp the power of Congress, and it cannot be allowed to happen. All right, Congressman John Garamendi, Democrat from California, joining us on the phone from Washington, D.C., ahead of those crucial House votes later this evening. Congressman, we'll have to have you back on. I know you do a lot of great work on the bipartisan Alzheimer's task force. I do want to one day, hopefully, get a segment in on all of that great work. Congressman, uh, thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg News Chief Washington Correspondent. Joining us from our Washington studio is Shannon Pettypiece, Bloomberg News White House reporter, and on the phone, Brett Bruin, president of the Global Situation Room and former White House director of Global Engagement. Now, Shannon, we just heard from the congressman about the politics of the declaration of the national emergency. By my count over here in Hanoi, it would appear that the votes are there in the Senate, that, that there are enough Republicans who are going to vote with the Democrats in the House when this gets over there to send this to the president's desk. For them, it's an issue of constitutionalism versus a, a, a threat of a national emergency on the wall. Three Republican senators, Senators Susan Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, and Tom Tillis of North Carolina, say that they are going to support the Democratic-sponsored resolution. Now, it's they don't have a veto-proof. The president's going to veto this and send it back to them, and, and I don't think they, they have enough votes to override the veto. But what kind of message are they, are they sending to President Trump, Shannon? Well, I mean, to, for the president to have to veto this, too, is, is you know, quite a big step, uh, you know, to override Congress on this. Um, I mean, they the argument that Republicans have been making, and you mentioned those are sort of in the yes column. There's a number of others who just haven't 
you know, decided one way or another and could could sort of tip, probably not enough to get to that two-third veto-proof uh, number, but that it could certainly look um, a lot more than just a you know, handful of you know, GOP defectors. The bigger concern here that Republicans, that these Republican members are making is that this is cyclical. What's going to happen when we have a Democrat president? Uh, they go back to Obama, and uh, they didn't like how Obama used his authority when it came to DACA. Not necessarily like those two things are the same, but it goes to no, this gotcha. concern yeah. they have about overreach of presidential power. And, you know, uh, I think someone, sometimes a president, or, you know, President Trump will be here another, you know, two to six years and then he's gone. Uh, members of Congress typically have a, a longer life cycle. They've seen uh, presidents <laughs> come and go. They know that uh, this two years you're in, the next two years you may be out. And if you don't want people pulling over uh, the same tricks that they pulled over last time, you can't go ahead with it and give these powers and set these precedents because it's all about right. setting precedent. That's the issue when these go to court, um, you know, down the road in the future. All right. Coming up, we're going to have more on that as well as on the Michael Cohen legal fallout. More from Shannon Pettypiece, Bloomberg News, White House reporter holding down the fort back in our D.C. Bureau. Uh, remember, you can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading my personal favorite app, the Bloomberg Business app. You can also check us out on Radio.com and on iHeartRadio. We're live from Hanoi, the Trump-Kim Summit. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Global news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at TikTok on Twitter. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. Indeed it is at 45 past the hour. I'm Doug Krisner at the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. We had a little bit of movement to the downside in the equity market after fluctuating uh, during the day between gains and losses. Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ composite each weaker by roughly one-tenth of one percent. We heard from Fed Chair Jay Powell. He's forecasting solid growth for the American economy, but at a slower rate given some cross-currents and conflicting signals, not the least of which weaker global growth. The pound rallied against the dollar by uh, more than 1%. That was after British Prime Minister Theresa May promised a vote to delay Brexit. That's if her revised plan on Brexit were to fail in Parliament. The yen strengthened quite a bit in New York trading. Right now we're at 110.58 against the greenback, and that's going to weigh on uh, futures for the Nikkei 225. Cash market in Tokyo will be up and running in about an hour and uh, 15 minutes from now. Bloomberg dollar spot index during the day was down two-tenths of 1%. WTI crude oil settling 55.50, and the U.S. 10-year Treasury last quoted in New York at a yield of 2.63%. Let's get back to a special edition of Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. He's live from Hanoi for the Trump-Kim Summit. Welcome back. My name is Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg News Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm broadcasting from Hanoi, Vietnam. I'm broadcasting atop of the O'Gallery Classy Hotel in downtown Hanoi, which is just a few blocks from the Huan Kim Lake in central Hanoi. President Trump is staying across town at the JW Marriott, as is Kim Jong-un, the North Korea 35-year-old dictator who's staying at the Melia Hotel. Now, in just a couple of hours, 12 hours or so, local time here, dinner time, President Trump and Kim Jong-un are going to break bread, likely, 
and have dinner together according to schedules. And then about a day at, a day later, they're going to be in local time. They're going to have their summit with their respective staffs. This is the second time, twice in less than a year, that President Trump has met with Kim Jong-un, the first meeting happening in Singapore for these denuclearization talks. To walk us through all of the politics of this and the policy, Brett Bruin, president of the Global Situation Room and former White House director of global engagement. He's also been a diplomat in many nations, including a former diplomat uh, in Venezuela. And Shannon Pettypiece, my good friend, holding down the fort for us uh, in our D.C. Bureau, Bloomberg News White House reporter. And domestically, and Shannon, you have an amazing story up on the Bloomberg terminal today, by the way. I love this graph. I'm just going to read it. As President Trump walked off Air Force One in Hanoi on Tuesday, his former fixer and lawyer, Michael Cohen, arrived on Capitol Hill to testify behind closed doors before the Senate Intelligence Committee, which is probing links between Russia and the Trump campaign. I, I'll be honest, here in Hanoi, no one's talking about the Mueller investigation. But I imagine back in the States, yeah. it's a different story. Um, it's an amazing split screen between the yeah. president landing in Vietnam and Michael Cohen walking on Capitol Hill. And I mean, it's really been a split screen that's been playing all day on really? cable television. And it will continue. Uh, tomorrow, Michael Cohen is going to testify publicly uh, before the House Oversight Committee. And this is not the first time um, where the president has been overseas and everyone back in the U.S. has been talking about the Mueller investigation on a few days before President Trump's first international trip to Saudi Arabia was when Mueller was appointed, uh, when President Trump had his last big summit with Vladimir Putin uh, in Helsinki. Of course, yep, I remember a few that. days before that, <laughs> Mueller indicted 12 uh, uh, Russians. And I mean, even when we look back, uh, the president was heading to the G20 in Argentina a few months ago. And hours before he left for that trip where he was meeting with you know a number of world leaders was when Michael Cohen pled guilty to lying to Congress about the timing of this Trump Tower Moscow deal. So um, yeah. I counted at least six occasions where the president's wow. foreign trips have coincided with developments in Mueller's Russia investigation back hey, in Hey, if DC. you're going to get out of town, right? Shannon Pettypiece, Bloomberg News White House reporter. Brett Bruin, president of the Global Situation Room, a global consulting firm based in Washington, D.C. He's also the former White House director of global engagement uh, and has served as a diplomat uh, representing the United States really all over the world. Um, Brett, when, when, a, when a domestic scandal erupts the way that Shannon has described, from your experience uh, serving in the international diplomatic community, does it impact what's going on on the ground? Without question. And really? don't um, forget that Kim Jong-un reads American media uh, religiously, and he knows that Donald Trump is in a weakened position. He knows Donald Trump needs a deal to shore up his political power back in Washington. So he will take full advantage of the domestic problems that Trump is having, the investigations, the allegations and use that to try and extract the best deal possible. So, you know, I think we are um, unfortunately heading back into this second summit without any clear achievements from um, the first summit having actually been advanced. Trump uh, is in a weakened position, and I'm just left asking myself, and I know that a number of others are, why are we here? What is it that uh, we expect 
that uh, is going to be achieved over the next couple of days in Hanoi that yeah. um, the United States um, needs to be there, needs to provide the prestige, the platform again to Kim Jong-un. And at a point when I'm not sure we are uh, in our strongest position. I hear you on that. But I, when I ask that question to others uh, in the nuclear community, uh, or Republicans who are supportive of the president, they say, "Well, you know, at least at least there's dialogue. At least there's talking. No one, you know, this was Kim Jong Un was, you know, on a collision course by himself. I mean, no one was engaging with him, uh, and that's their side. I, I want to stick with Michael Cohen though for uh, for a second longer because it really is the one of the dominating domestic stories back in the states. And Shannon, uh, your piece just so." I mean, when I read it, I was like, I forgot about that, um, and just, about just how much you mentioned Helsinki. I remember being over there, and and it, it was quite, you know, interesting, for lack of a better term. I do want to play for you, though, what Senator Joe Manchin, a centrist Democrat from West Virginia, had to say, because this Michael Cohen was was literally convicted of lying. And this notion of why should people why should people believe him anymore? Uh, that's that's a question that keeps getting asked. Here's Senator Joe Manchin earlier. Take a listen. Well, he has no reason to lie again. <laughs> it's not, not going to be helpful to him to lie again, and he's admitted he's lied. That was Senator Joe Manchin earlier today up on Capitol Hill. So, so Shannon, is that good enough? I mean, the president uh, has successfully framed, at least for Republicans and even some others, people looking at Michael Cohen and, and questioning his, his honesty. Well, I mean, there's certainly the argument to make that he knows the consequences of lying to Congress now uh, and that if you, you know, you do it, you will be caught and punished for it. Um, he has some advantages to not lie now because, um, you know, if, if well, first of all, if he lies to Congress, he could get his sentence extended and he probably doesn't want that anymore. But, you know, it could also kind of hurt his cooperation and the deals that he has um, with other prosecutors. Uh, but, of course, the Republicans are going to try and attack him on, on three fronts as this sense that we've gotten. One, his credibility for having lied to Congress before. Uh, two, we think that they're just going to attack his character in general and try and bring up some of his shady business dealings, this lobbying work that he did in the early days of the administration and question him about that to sort of steer the subject away from the president. Um, and three, I think there's going to be an attempt to sort of turn him into a coffee boy type figure and try and make him look coffee like boy. he really wasn't this integral piece um, in Donald Trump's universe, the way Democrats are going to want to portray him. And that's and just not true, by the way. I mean, I, I mean, having covered the Trump campaign virtually since its inception, Michael Cohen was a fixer. He was he was an intricate part of the inner workings of yeah. the Trump. He, he was paying off mistresses. He wasn't getting coffee. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if he was in charge of the, you know, the, the chief. He wasn't the chief financial officer of Trump Org, but he certainly wasn't, um, you know, wasn't someone on the complete outer skirts of this. Um, right. Everybody needs to go read Shannon's piece uh, because the split screen that everyone will watch on cable uh, tonight after their drive home from work is, is going to be quite remarkable. I will level with you, though. No one's really talking about it here in Hanoi, where I'm broadcasting from top of the Ogale gallery classy hotel just a few blocks from Juan Kim Lake in central Hanoi. I do want to touch on some positive news, which is that the economy seems to be holding up fairly well. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell uh, said that the economy was quote-unquote healthy, but he was a bit cautious about quote-unquote cross-currents and conflicting signals. The stocks didn't really move on his testimony before the Senate Banking Committee earlier uh, on uh, Tuesday, 
in U.S. time. See, I'm in a different country, different time zone. <laughs> Fed Chair Jay Powell's going to testify on Wednesday in America time uh, before the House Financial Services Committee. You know, here I am in Hanoi, Brett and Shannon, and uh, I got to be honest, I, I, I was struck but Shannon, have you did you travel? Have you been to Vietnam? Have either of you been to Vietnam? We have not, but I've been watching everyone's Instagram photos, all my okay, friends over there, and I will be traveling there soon, <laughs> I think. Okay, the food here, by the way, I had a a banh mi. It's called. It's like a Vietnamese hoagie. I, as you guys know, I grew up outside of Philly, and it's like this. <laughs> the food here and the scooters, Brett. Brett, by the way, has been all over the world. Where does Vietnam and like? the 30 seconds or so that we have left. Why Vietnam? Why am I in Vietnam? Well, I think it's because uh, Trump wants to tell a story to Kim Jong-un. We were at war with Vietnam. We are now at peace. They are prospering. You, too, can enjoy this kind of situation if you make concessions. But, yeah. you know, I would add to that piece of the story, who knows who the leader of Vietnam is? I mean, in America. <laughs> um, is the president of the United States traveling all the way there to le meet with the leader of Vietnam? Has the leader of Vietnam been to the White House? You know, so there's also that to keep in mind. You give your nuclear weapons and you're just the leader of a country and no one knows your name. Shannon Pettypiece, Bloomberg News down White down. House reporter. Everyone knows her name. And Brett Bruin, president of the Global Situation Room and former White House Director of Global Engagement for the Obama Administration. Thank you both, my friends, for, for joining me on this special edition of Sound On. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com and iHeartRadio. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I'm broadcasting from Hanoi, Vietnam, all week. You're listening to Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.